Hello, and welcome to Soothing Pod's Sleep Stories. My name is Arif, and tonight I will be your guide as we embark on a magical journey to ancient Greece, where we will forge inspiring, wondrous creations with Hephaestus, the god of fire, blacksmiths, craftsmen, and forges. We will learn about his origin story, about his rise from the rejected son of a goddess to the craftsman for the gods. Before we begin, however, let us take a moment to relax and find comfort in the space that we are in, here and now. Close your eyes and allow your body to sink into the mattress beneath you. For a brief moment, turn your attention to the comfort of the bed. Notice how it cradles your body, how it welcomes you to a night of rest and relaxation. By simply closing your eyes, and listening to the sound of my voice now, you are already giving your body the rest that it deserves. With your eyes gently closed and your body sinking deeper and deeper into the mattress, I want you to try and picture something with me. Before you, there is a forest. You find yourself in a grove of trees, a stunning, cozy grove of lush trees that are bathed in the silvery light of the full moon overhead. In fact, everything around you is bathed in that sleepy, comforting light. The grass at your feet that is swaying in the fragrant summer breeze is glowing in the moonlight, glistening and dancing as it moves back and forth. Overhead, the leaves on the trees join the grass in this natural dance, in this back and forth motion that is propelled by the summer breeze, the brisk summer breeze that smells of flourishing foliage and freshly cut grass and dewdrops descending down daisies in the distant fields. For a moment, you simply sit and breathe in the beautiful scene before you. You are seated on a log, a log that is blanketed with swaths of fluffy, evergreen moss and flecked with fallen leaves. The log seems to have fallen years and years ago and has since become a staple of the forest just as it is, eternally at rest 
As you sit there in the forest, you start to notice something before you. There is a pile of sticks and kindling in a ring, a fine little fire pit made by someone who must have journeyed into this forest on the same calming night stroll that you are taking now. A spark safely ignites deep within the center of the fire pit. The orange glow it kicks up into the scene before you is such an otherworldly contrast to the cool, silver light of the moon that it is breathtaking. You watch in awe as this tiny little spark, this small, beautiful thing, begins to gradually grow. It spreads from a single, tiny spark, slowly spreading across the kindling like waves washing across the shore of a beach. More and more bits of the kindling are ignited as you watch, and each little flame seems to have a life of its own. The flames slowly grow onto the beautiful sticks and logs laid across the fire pit. Sticks and logs that come from the forest around you. And as they begin to peacefully burn, the smell of the fresh bark fills the air. Now, the tiny flames in the fire before you dance and flicker in the breeze, creating a living mosaic of amber, scarlet, gold, and orange. They cast a warm light across the whole grove, warm light that melts against the cool light of the moon, which is still bright and full overhead. You stare at the flames for a long while, listening to the calming crackle of the fire as it journeys across the branches and logs in the fire pit. With every crackle, you feel your body relaxing more and more. As you breathe in, you notice the flames of the fire beginning to grow. The warmth of the flames still a safe distance away, grows along with the fire, sending a wave of comfort over your body. As you exhale, the flames before you shrink slightly, allowing you to feel the cool, comforting touch of the summer night's breeze move across your body. Breathe in and feel the flames of the campfire grow and its warmth 
comforting your body from your head to your toes. Breathe out and feel the cool, gentle breeze wash over you. Breathe in, feeling the warmth of the fire as you watch it grow. And breathe out, feeling the cool, gentle breeze wash over you. If at any point during our journey to ancient Greece tonight, you find yourself looking for a different kind of comfort, know that you can return to this exercise. You can imagine the soft flames of the fire and bask in its warmth. And you can feel the touch of that summer breeze refreshing your mind and body. Now that we have taken a moment to relax and find comfort in the space we are in here and now, let us begin our story. Mount Olympus was a beautiful place and the palace atop a cloud-shrouded mountain peak was a wonderland of gold and marble, fit with the finest furnishings and abound with the most delectable, remarkable food that could be found in the world. Mount Olympus was fit for a king or in this case, for the gods. High above the cities of Greece, Mount Olympus was where all the principal gods resided. Though they were powerful beings with divine abilities, wisdom, and wealth beyond imagination, they had many human qualities and as with people, conflicts were common among the mighty gods of Olympus. The Greek gods were not perfect beings, and Zeus, the king of the gods and the god of sky and thunder, was perhaps one of the most imperfect of them all. He and his wife, Hera, the goddess of marriage, women, and family, often found themselves in disagreements. Their relationship frequently found itself in a state of discord because Zeus often had affairs with mortals and sometimes he even had children simply by himself. At one point early in the lives of the Greek gods, Zeus created his daughter Athena with no participation by anyone else. This solo conception greatly hurt Hera, who decided to set forth and have a solo conception of her own. Athena was a beautiful, wise, 
intelligent goddess, the goddess of wisdom, handicraft, and courage. Anyone would be lucky to have her as their daughter. And Hera set out to have a child that was even more impressive than Athena herself. It wasn't an easy task, and though she knew it may go poorly, she decided to go about with it anyway. It was too painful and too embarrassing that Zeus, her husband, had had a child without her. She thought that having one of her own would remedy that, that Zeus would be jealous and understand the pain he had put her through. One night, as the moon rose high above Mount Olympus, casting a blanket of beautiful silver light across the marble and gold floors, Hera gave birth to her child that she had conceived on her own. Outside, the wind stopped blowing against the walls of the palace and the lush grasses surrounding it. The crickets stopped chirping. There was no sound except for the sound of her child taking his first breath. When Hera looked down on her newborn, she was expecting the son of a goddess, a son that essentially glowed from the inside out, a son that was beautiful, special, perfect even. Other children of the Greek gods and goddesses usually had a magical energy about them that radiated from deep inside them. But as she looked down at her newborn, there was none to be found. Her son was much less than perfect. He did not have a face of a godly perfection, nor hair that glowed in the moonlight nor eyes that sparkled when he smiled. He was a child with what the gods would have considered flaws. Hera was devastated. Not just devastated about not having the type of son she was expecting, but devastated about how he had come to be, and about what Zeus had done to her. She felt great shame, anger, and frustration. So much so that she could hardly contain herself. In her grief and disappointment, she cast her son away. Her son, Hephaestus, spiraled down through the clouds of Mount Olympus and sailed toward the earth below, a world far, far away from the gods, away from Hera and Zeus, 
and all the trouble they had brewed with one another. It was a long and dangerous journey, one that not every person could survive, let alone a child. Hephaestus landed far below Mount Olympus, splashing into the sea off the coast of the island of Lemnos. The seas there were beautiful, an expanse of cerulean, cyan, sapphire, and navy, all swirling and splashing in the light of the moon. However, the seas were no place for a child, and certainly no place for a child as vulnerable as Hephaestus. But soon after he landed in the cool water, hands wrapped around him. He stopped crying as he felt the warmth of their touch. And when he gazed up at the eyes of the person helping him, even he, as young as he was, knew he was going to be saved. The woman looked down at Hephaestus with pity and worry in her stunning blue eyes, eyes that mirrored the ocean around him. She rose out of the waves unnaturally, standing upon their surface as if she was standing in the grass of a meadow in the distant mountains he had just been tossed from. She rocked him gently, cradling his head and smiling down upon him. The warmth she showed him instantly soothed him, causing a wave of serenity to wash over him and welcome him to this brand new world the world he should have been taken into in the first place. What have we here, little one? The woman cooed, looking over Hephaestus. She tickled the bottom of his foot, a twisted foot that would never function like a typical one, but made no difference to her. He giggled at her gentle, motherly touch, and she couldn't help but smile. Her name was Thetis, a sea nymph and a goddess of water. Her history had been entangled with Zeus's and the other Greek gods and goddesses for quite some time, but mainly she remained down on earth, watching over the seas and taking it upon herself to look after the people that had fallen in them. It had been a mostly calm night when Hephaestus landed in her ocean, and for that she was grateful. She could not imagine the child being out here in rough waters. Thetis 
felt an immense connection and warmth towards the child. But she knew of the nature of the Greek gods. She had no desire to be drawn into their squabbles. And yet, she knew she had to find a safe place for Hephaestus to grow and learn. She wrapped the child in a cloth in her arms and rocked him gently for a moment, staring down at him adoringly. She ran her hand over his hair and whispered to him, I am going to give you the best childhood possible, my boy, but it will not be with the gods. It will be with the people here. You will grow and laugh and spend every day playing and learning in the sunshine here, away from them, unaware of the past that is far behind you. With those kind words, she tightened her grip on Hephaestus. With ease, she sailed across the ocean, carrying the young child in her arms. The ocean spray rose all around her, a veil that surrounded her and gave her a magical glow that caused young Hephaestus to giggle and reach out for her in awe. She could already see that he was going to be something special, that there was a unique magic in him right from the start. She landed upon the shores of Lemnos, a beautiful island in the Aegean Sea. The island had cliffs that rose high into the clouds, forests of olive and citrus trees, and the most remarkable of all, stunning coastline that kissed the edge of the sea, stretching from the villages to the remote, distant hills. Thetis took Hephaestus, a sparkling bundle of joy, and brought him to the doorstep of one of the families within the village. They were a solitary people, far removed from the other people in Greece, and most importantly, far removed from the gods. Living here, Hephaestus wouldn't know of his lineage. He would know nothing of his story, of how he was cast aside without a thought. Here, he could live a beautiful life, a happy life. Thetis waved to young Hephaestus, as she walked into the waves that lapped against the beautiful shoreline. It hurt her to say goodbye to the precious child, 
but she knew it was for the best. She descended into the waves, leaving him to the people in the village. When the sun crested over the mountains on the island, bathing the village in the beautiful golden glow of the morning light, the villagers awakened, setting out to fish, forage, and craft as they did nearly every day. But today was different, because today they had a new member of the village, and one particular family gained a brand new member. No one knew of Hephaestus's parentage, and no one on the island cared much about the deformity that had caused Hera to toss young Hephaestus away. The family whose doorstep he was set upon took him in with smiles on their faces, grateful to have such a lovely little boy to raise. They cradled him in their arms, promising that they would give him a good life. And indeed, they did. Hephaestus was raised on one of the most beautiful islands in the world, surrounded by people who loved him. Every morning, he would awaken to the sound of birds singing and follow the other children out into the meadows where they would play games and try to make sense of the world around them. Sometimes they would spend afternoons on the beach where they'd lounge in the sun and swim in the chilly, refreshing waves. In the afternoons, Hephaestus would join his family in their daily chores. Unlike some of the children, Hephaestus enjoyed doing chores alongside his family. It gave him time to chat, to learn, but most of all, it gave him time to work with his hands. Because of his lameness, it was challenging for Hephaestus to play some physical games with the other children. When they played games with a ball, running around and giggling, he would often find himself sitting on the sidelines, unable to join in. But instead of growing discouraged, Hephaestus would often turn to something else. From a young age, he felt inexplicably drawn to building and crafting things from supplies around the island. When he was just a toddler, he would find rocks and play with them, crafting them into crude little spearheads or toys. As he grew older, 
his desire to craft only grew more and more. He spent much of his time on the far corner of the island, where the local blacksmith had a forge. On rainy days, when the island became quiet and there were no chores to be done, Hephaestus would tiptoe away from his house, sneaking away before his parents even noticed he was gone. He'd meander through the rain, breathing in the scent of the magical island, the fresh aroma of the citrus orchards, the briny scent of the sea, the earthy, invigorating scent of the loam and the sand. It all filled him with a sense of belonging and a sense of excitement. But there was one smell that would spark within him, something unlike anything else. The scent of the forge at the very edge of the island. He would sit outside the blacksmith's shop, peering in the windows as he stood on a small box to support himself. He loved watching the blacksmith at work, creating weapons, trinkets, and gifts of metal from what looked to be molten lava. It was an art form, creating something useful and purposeful from crude materials. And Hephaestus had never felt so destined and drawn to something like that before. It felt like this is what he was made for. Not long after, the blacksmith took Hephaestus under his wing. But it didn't take long for Hephaestus to surpass the blacksmith in skill. When he was in front of the forge at work, it was like magic, like he was being compelled and driven by something deep, deep within him that few people ever experience. As a young child, he made trinkets and toys, but now he was making the finest weapons in all of Greece. And soon, it wasn't just Greece. Word spread of Hephaestus's weapons, and the Greek gods took an interest in him. Meanwhile, as Hephaestus became an adult, he started wondering about his lineage, about his roots, and primarily about his parents. He felt different in some ways, not because of his deformity, but because of his ability. So one day he set out on a journey, speaking to anyone and everyone that he thought could help him discover the truth of his parentage. It wasn't an easy task 
because so few people knew of his existence and his true origin. But eventually, Hephaestus was able to speak to some people who knew his whole story. And when Hephaestus learned that he had been discarded by his mother, anger crashed over him like a wave. He was inconsolable, furious with his mother for her betrayal. Soon after that, some of the Olympian gods came to visit him, but not to get to know him or welcome him to Olympus, not even to discuss where he came from. They came to him, eager to use his weapons, excited about his creations. Hephaestus shrugged them off at first, wanting nothing to do with the gods. But then, he began to think about it. He lay awake at night, stewing about his mother, about the other gods, about his abilities. And an idea began to form. He wanted revenge on his mother for her betrayal. And with the gods being so interested in his creations, yet unaware of who he was, he knew he had the perfect way to get back at his mother. He created a vast, opulent golden throne it was one of his finest creations, something he spent countless hours working on at his own forge. It was a throne fit for a queen, a throne that someone like Hera would not be able to resist. He delivered the throne to the goddess presenting it to her with a smile on his face. He told her he had crafted it, especially for her, using only the finest materials he could find. Hera was awestruck by the incredible throne, transfixed by its craftsmanship and undeniable beauty. She thanked Hephaestus profusely, and he went on his way, knowing what would ensue. When Hera sat upon the throne, she was suddenly trapped on it, unable to stand up. The other gods gathered around as she tried to escape the clutches of the throne, but it was no use. Even with her powers, even with Zeus's powers, there was no way for the goddess to free herself. Only then did the gods realize who Hephaestus was. They called upon him, begging him to release his mother. But Hephaestus shrugged telling them that he had no mother, 
frustrated and desperate to have his wife freed, Zeus sent Ares, the god of war, down to collect Hephaestus. But when Ares arrived, Hephaestus confronted him with torches, scaring the god away. This struck fear in the hearts of the gods. They didn't understand how Hephaestus could scare away the god of war. For the second time in such a short period, they came to really see the extent of his power. Next, Zeus sent down Dionysus, the god of wine. Dionysus approached Hephaestus with a calm demeanor, much less threatening than Ares had. The two had a jovial afternoon together, one where Dionysus slipped Hephaestus glass after glass of wine. Soon, Hephaestus became so intoxicated by the delicious wine that he fell asleep. Dionysus loaded the sleeping, inebriated Hephaestus onto the back of a mule. The journey back to Olympus was a long one, but Dionysus did it with no complaints. Instead, he passed wine to all that passed by and created merriment in the streets which he crossed making the best out of a rather complex situation. When they finally arrived on Mount Olympus, Hephaestus got his wits about him rather quickly. Zeus spoke to him, asking him what he needed in order to release Hera. He offered to give him anything, something that greatly intrigued Hephaestus. Hephaestus declared that he would like Aphrodite's hand in marriage. She was considered by many to be the most beautiful goddess in the entire world, and Hephaestus agreed with that sentiment. Desperate to set his wife free, Zeus agreed deciding he would rather face the wrath of Aphrodite than the wrath of Hera. Hephaestus walked over to the throne, quickly setting his mother free. She stood before her son, the same little boy she had thrown out of Olympus all those years ago, and tears began to form in her eyes. She apologized to him and commended him for becoming the man that he was in spite of her transgressions. Hephaestus stood there in silence for a long moment, surprised that his mother would apologize for her behavior. It was unlike the gods to admit to their own misdeeds, and she was doing it with deep 
sincerity. Hephaestus nodded, accepting his mother's apology. He had no desire to be close to her, but the resentment was finally gone. With Hera free and his relationship with his mother and his past stable, Hephaestus finally agreed to work with the gods. Soon, his forge was built upon Olympus. He had an entire palace on the mountain all to himself. A workshop where he would create weapons and equipment beyond anyone's wildest dreams. He went on to create Hermes's winged helmet and sandals, Aphrodite's girdle, Achilles's armor, Hercules's bronze clappers. He could create a piece of equipment imbued with magic that would allow the Greek gods or heroes to make it out of any situation they found themselves in. And though his work was valuable, for him, that wasn't the most important thing. Hephaestus had found his place. After being cast aside all those years ago, after spending years wondering about who his parents were, he finally had a place in the land he was from. He spent day and night in his workshop, a workshop of his dreams, crafting fantastical things that helped many gods on their journeys. As he watched them walk away, there would always be a twinkle in his eyes. He knew his work was appreciated. He knew his deformities didn't matter. And he felt fortunate that he was raised where he had been. I hope you have enjoyed this story, and it has brought you a night of peaceful, restful sleep. Please, join me again tomorrow night for another sleep story. Until then, sweet dreams. <laughs>